Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Monday, July 11th, 2022. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rossman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. Uh, Christine Rosen is off today. Uh, We will begin with the news that has startled people for not that much good reason since it just simply confirms other results that we've seen earlier but the new york times and sienna have a poll out that has joe biden's approval rating at 33 percent and 64 percent of democrats in the poll say they do not want joe biden to run again in 2024 that is to say two-thirds of democrats polled in the poll do not want joe biden to be the democratic nominee in 2024 and his approval rating is lower uh, the only time that Trump even hit or touched 33, I think, was right after Charlottesville. It was not the. And uh, the New York Times' Nate Cohn, uh, one of its uh, data crunchers, points out that the poll, uh, if it followed the same, I don't know how you would describe it, modalities as other polls taken in the field in the last couple of weeks, uh, that would probably tilt Biden's poll number up to a whopping 36%. So, uh, you know, it's not Armageddon. It's only Ragnarok. It's not the apocalypse. It's only the destruction of all life as we know it. The poll itself, if you look at it, I'm not going to go through it, is as bad as a poll can be for a person and his party. Uh, it's very hard. Uh, to remember a poll as bad as this for somebody um, who is not in the middle of a complete and total crisis meltdown moment. Uh, George W. Bush had some pretty terrible polling in 2008. Uh, That's the only time I can even sort of think of anything comparable. Uh, Abe, what's going to happen here? Well, nothing, nothing good for Biden. We should say this comes, this is sort of a part of a deluge uh, from the Times in particular. This comes a, a day after a, frankly, quite nasty piece about Biden's age and, and the misgivings that uh, some administration insiders and Democrats generally have about his age and his abilities, um, featuring uh a photo of Biden sprawled out on the ground after he after he fell on his on his bike, uh, recounting all of his all of his um, gaffes and misstatements recently. There's also there's also a piece in New York magazine talking about how Biden is the problem. Um, yeah, it's it's the, the, the dam broke. Clearly, you know, uh, that's I think what's interesting. I agree that the, the poll itself confirms what we've sensed and known, um, but there is absolutely no way to hold back the torrent of bad data for Biden anymore. So again, uh, to, to express a little bit of skepticism about the polls, details, innards, uh, the number of people who were polled who are 
respondents who said they plan to vote in the 2024 Democratic primary and who preferred a candidate other than Biden. That's 191 respondents. So out of 847. So we are talking about a subsection of a subsection. The reasons that they give, though, are interesting. Um, age is the number one reason. That's 33%. If you add to that mental acuity, which is taken as a separate category, though I'm not sure it should be since age is a sort of a, you know, I think that's included in age. That's 3%. That would get to 33%, 36% on age, 32% on job performance. So if you add the idea that he's not up to the job because he's too old and his job performance is lousy among Democrats, you're getting to almost 70%. Well, hang on, Democrats. hang on here, because this is all, none of this makes a whole lot of sense. Among Democrats, Joe Biden's job approval is 70%. Seven and 10 support what he's doing. Now, that's not good. Not great. You need nine out of 10 of your of your voters behind you, but still seven and 10 are, and yet only 26% of voters would vote to renominate him in 2024, according to this one poll. So you can say, okay, well, all things being equal, they'd like to have somebody else in there, but they have to affirmatively support that somebody else and that somebody else has to be a human being with their own set of negatives. So this, what does this mean? I don't know well, if we can extrapolate much nothing, right? beyond it. What it means is that Democrats are looking at the order of battle and the condition of the United States and the condition of things and saying, this isn't good. Democratic and voters. Hang on. Democratic yes. voters. Now you have to entice somebody else into the race against no, a sitting no, no. incumbent I'm president. Not, I am not saying that the poll itself is determinative of the idea that Biden, if he ran in 2024, wouldn't win the nomination and wouldn't get. 95% of Democrats to vote for him. I believe that he would, particularly if Trump is the nominee of the Republican Party. All the same, uh, you can't whistle past the graveyard here. This is a graveyard. What this indicates is he's got a disapproval rating of 70% among independents. Independents are the people who are going to determine whether or not Joe Biden wins a second term for the presidency, because we can presume that, you know, overwhelmingly Republicans who are who are somewhat smaller in number than Democrats will vote for the Republican nominee and overwhelmingly Democrats will vote for the Democratic nominee and neither one will be sufficient. And then the these this eight or nine percent in the middle is who's going to swing to choose the president, particularly in, you know, those five swing states that are going to run are going to determine who the president is in 2024 and um it's just not good like forget the democratic number because i'm not interested in the democratic number that much in the end democrats will vote for the democrat right that's that's just well, they're not going to vote for, yeah i'll just jump in there for a second but i th i think it matters even among the democrats because if if their attitude is yeah we'll take them if we have to um doesn't that mean that if it rains on election day, say a lot of them are going to stay home too? I mean, this this is an indication of enthusiasm. Well, remember, rain on election day no longer matters because you can vote. You know, I, I, I met that metaphor. Which way, but loose. I met that metaphor. I meant. I meant. No, if I know. Any I know. Reason, you know. I know. Well, the parties are now competent enough uh, without, unless you're thinking of like the intercession of of 
Donald Trump depressing the Georgia turnout in in the runoffs and winning two Senate seats for the Democrats in Georgia. Um, these parties are now good enough at turnout to get even unenthusiastic voters to vote. Uh, they may not just be unenthusiastic. They might be affirmatively refusing to vote. That's what Nate Cohen says. Quote, this poll felt like it was 2016. People aren't happy. That 43-40 on Biden-Trump isn't 17% undecided. They're mainly people who affirmatively volunteered. I wouldn't vote even though it was an option. Let's move on to a different aspect of this. We are looking at uh, the surfacing of the major issue about Biden that has remained untouchable or, you know, started to be untouchable the minute he started leading the polls in 2019, almost silenced by the by the mainstream media. I'm not talking about Hunter. I'm not talking about what I'm talking about, um, his uh, acuity and stamina and all that. And um, look, it is unreasonable for there to be a re-election campaign in which a guy who is going to be 82 when he is re-elected or when he is sworn in, that this isn't going to be the major issue of the of the election. 82 years old. That's insane. An 82-year-old shouldn't be president of the United States. I mean, does anybody, can anybody explain to me how it can be that we should simply sit here and say that an 82-year-old should be president of the United States? No. Don't all jump in at once. <laughs> well, well, no, no. Who can defend that? Right. I mean, you know, by the look, way, a 79 year old shouldn't be president of the United States either. So if we're if we're facing Trump versus Biden, I mean, as I, I think I said last week, like if we actually end up with Trump versus Biden a second time, this is a country in huge crisis. This is a country whose system is in the middle of a collapse in which it cannot nominate a, 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 a reasonable person in either major party to be the whole point of the parties is that they're supposed to push everything into some center position in which uh, the extremes or sort of extreme choices don't have to be made by the American people. The parties that haven't been doing that work for a very long time. Huh? What? The parties have not been doing that work for a very long well, time. No, no. I'm talking about ultimately. Yes, they have. Sure. They have. Not for not for a decade and a half, at least. No, I'm saying that that is the that is the larger purpose of part, not the explicit purpose of parties. The larger purpose of parties is to be gigantic coalitions that repel the extremes. I'm I'm talking about nationally. I'm not talking now about states or you know congressional districts or something like that. And in this case, you're really talking about the idea that you know, like it it just stands to reason. You can't have an 82 year old as your president because in two years after his election, three years after he's president, he'll be 85. He won't well, the, be the question is always compared to what and who's coming up behind him. There's no spring chickens behind Joe Biden in the Democratic roster. Yeah, even the even the articles I'm talking about that that talk about his being the problem and, and the Times article that they don't mention uh, they're they're not they 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 haven't been throwing out other options there. No, I mean, look, there's an obviously there are younger options. There are younger options all over the place. If you needed a younger option, you could have it in five seconds. Wait, but on the you left, you could have John, Mayor Pete. You could have Gavin Newsom, who's I think 57. You could have 
uh, Cooper, the governor of North Carolina, who is, I think, in his late 50s. I mean, it's not like there aren't people. Look, when John McCain was the nominee in 2008, there were questions. He would have been 72. There were questions. There was a major issue raised about whether or not he was in an appropriate place to be president at the age of 72. After all, Ronald Reagan had been elected at 69. He was 72 and had a bad temper and was querulous. And so, you know, who knows what that might point toward. Okay, the parties, if they were strong, if they hadn't spent the last 40, 50 years sacrificing their capacity to overrule primary voters, deferring instead to democratic mechanisms, then yeah, you could see a party engineering a victory for something like a Gavin Newsom candidacy and where we'd have, we'd test the experiment of the California model nationally. That would be uh, what the parties would do in the, ni- the 1980s, 1990s. They've been sacrificing that authority to voters. And where's the voters enthusiasm for progressive candidates? And who are the progressive candidates who command the authority of the base? They are Elizabeth Warren. They are Bernie Sanders. They are well, AOC is too young to be president, but Bernie's again, older than Biden. What? Bernie's older than Biden. I mean, here's the other thing. Again, I, I'm loath to mention this just because it's 194 people, which really isn't a statistically valid sample. But if you take the number of voters in the, that say they're going to vote the Democratic primary in this New York Times Siena poll who say that they don't like Biden because he's not progressive enough. That number is 10 percent. It's not 30 percent. The number of people who say that Biden is not progressive enough is 10 percent. So. The progressives are not the problem for Biden. He's too old. And, and th- that means you have, you have concerns about his fitness. You have concerns about his mental acuity. You have concerns about his, his energy. This is the hardest job in the world. Like, you know, um, he can be in the best shape that any 80-year-old person is on the planet and still not be up to the demands of the presidency. And that goes that goes the same for Trump, and, which is one of the reasons that I think people are overlooking the contrast that somebody like DeSantis can pull off with Trump without even mentioning Trump. DeSantis is 43 years old. Trump will be 77. Next sort of interesting. So you talk about how the progressives aren't really Biden's problem, which, which cuts against the conventional wisdom, the conventional wisdom being Biden didn't respond aggressively enough to Dobbs, Dobbs decision. They didn't have plans going to uh, going ahead. And so the progressives are revolting. Abe flagged this part of this poll. Excuse me, I'm struggling this morning with a cold. So apologies for my voice. But he said that the president has a 62 percent job approval rating among African-American voters. Right which is lower than the average, than the 70% of all Democratic voters. Now, this, I could be wrong, correct me if, I'm, if I am, but in my couple of decades reading polling around you know, presidential job approval ratings, I don't remember a, a president, a, a Democratic president, having more support among average Democrats generally than African-Americans. African-Americans are usually really the base support, and they were Joe Biden's base in 2020 and 2019 during the primaries. And when you think about African-American voters, the stereotypes are, well, they're not, they're not woke. 
Um, and but they are very progressive, economically progressive. They support progressive policies, redistributionist policies. Um, so it's not the progressives, it's not the woke that are revolting against Joe Biden per se, the white, white affluent, highly educated suburban voters. Um, it's really that base, base support that just expects competent democratic left of center governance. And then it's the economy. We should add, no, that that it's among uh, uh, the black Democrats. The Times piece also said on the question of renominating Mr. Biden in 2024, slightly more black Democratic voters said they wanted a different candidate than than said they preferred Mr. Biden. I mean, look, the poll is terrible when you when you get numbers this low, they're all going to be low. You know, I mean, if his approval rating among African-Americans was 90 percent, he wouldn't be at 33 percent in the poll, even though African-Americans only make up 14 percent of the electorate. You're still you're still talking about numbers that indicate that he is in bad shape everywhere. There is no strength anywhere. Uh, you know, he's better off with some groups than others. But if he's in the low 60s with black voters, he is at 20 percent, according to this poll, with white voters without college degrees, 20 percent. Now, we already know that white voters without college degrees have now gone, you know, very much in the Republican direction. This is a total reversal uh, of, you know, of political facts, you know, from my youth and and early adulthood that 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 this is now a Republican base. But 20 percent. But I've, I want to make a point about the, the the woke issue versus the age issue. Um, I agree now as it, as his problem manifests, it's the age issue. But as a thought experiment, had Biden, once he became president, not pivoted toward progressive goals um, and not pushed for uh kinds of spending on the kinds of things that he was pushing for and had not embraced all the woke mantras and initiatives um, <clears throat> and had therefore, as a result, gotten some more things done uh, and and perhaps even would have had uh, the, our economy in not as awful shape as it, as it is in. Um, wouldn't fewer people be complaining about his age? Well, fewer people would complain about his age if he were if he were doing better. I mean, that, that right. that's axiomatic. If he looked like he knew what he was doing, people wouldn't say, well, he's too old for the job. Which doesn't mean. That he's not too old for the you know, that that he could have done other. I mean, I, I'm just saying that all of this, when you ask people what it is that they don't like about him. What matters is that they don't like him, not not what the specifics are they don't like about him. The virtue of polling like that is that it provides the person who is in trouble with some guideposts on how to improve himself and how to address the weaknesses and turn them around. The one thing that Joe Biden can't turn around is the date of his birth. <laughs> he can't change how old he is. You know, he could boot black his hair, you know, he could upload his consciousness, you know, into, you know, he could upload into a younger, into a robot body, I suppose. But other than that, he can't, he can't change that. So there's no, you know, he can't, 
can't be, you know, Bill Clinton and like tack to the center. That's not going to help him deal with the age problem. Um, obviously, success would alleviate a lot of these problems. People, it's not for them to interpret why it is that they think he's lousy. They just think he's lousy. 33% approval rating or 36% if you want to be generous or 38% if you want to use the real clear politics average. However you slice it, we continue to have these conversations about the November 22 midterms in public fora on Meet the Press yesterday, elsewhere, where Democrats are simply refusing to accept the fact that a tsunami is heading their way. I don't blame them. They they can't like they can't sort of give up hope and just sort of, you know, leave the playing field. But ahead of the party in the mid 30s is catastrophic. I mean, you know, these numbers where it's, oh, you know, man, Republicans can't really get more than 35 seats in the House. I mean, that's really, there's a there's no low-hanging fruit. Da, 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 da. No one's ever run with numbers like this in a midterm. Trump's numbers weren't this bad. He was in the low 40s in 2018. They lost 40 seats. I mean, the corollary, if the knives are out for him among Democrats, the White House is going to begin to resent the conditions that uh, are you know making him so unpopular among his own party did you see uh Kate Benningfield lashing out at abortion groups yeah right anti or uh, yeah you uh, should pro, yeah, pro, can you pro cite pro that quote groups sure it's she was pretty on, amazing uh, right yeah she was asked about the women's march and there's a lot of activists who are very frustrated with the Biden administration's response to post jobs. It's not like they have a lot they can do. They're not submitting a lot of options for them to pursue, but they just want to see more activity, more emotion from the press. I don't know what they want, but what they want is more of something. And Kate Benningfield, who was Joe Biden's, I think during the campaign, she was his chief spokesperson. I forget what role she played, but right now she's White House communications director. She's not. Nobody. And she's about to leave. And she's about to look. Well, OK, so she's setting the bridge on fire at the, on her way out the door. Quote, Joe Biden's goal in responding to Dobbs is not to satisfy some activists who have been consistently out of step with the mainstream of the Democratic Party. It's to deliver help to women who are in danger uh, and assemble a broad based coalition to defend women's rights to choose now. Um, yeah, that's a that's an atomic bomb right in the middle of the act the core activist concern right now on the far left of the party's fringes and and probably with a healthy healthy subset of voters in the middle who are sympathetic to their aims to to say that you you're the problem here not us you yeah that won't be well received well it's not going to be well received the question is you know how many how many how many troops do they have like do they actually represent the do, do people like the one she's attacking actually you know have have enough well, I wouldn't be comfortable oh, betting voters. the House in, on internal democratic politics of the idea that the pro-choice movement doesn't move the needle. No, no, no. She's saying Biden is plenty pro-choice. It's these activists who are out of step. He's where the country is. He wants to, I don't know, approve abortion pills. And, you know, he may not want to, you know, put a, you know, a, a abortion clinic on a, on a on an Indian reservation or, you know, in a national park. But, but she's uh, cl betting feels clearly going rogue here because there's no prescription. There's no yeah. campaign to make an example of someone. There's no sister soldier moment here. In fact, when Kareen, uh 
Jean Prejean Prejean. I forget how to pronounce her what? name. Jean-Pierre, Jean Karine Jean-Pierre. Thank, Jean, thank you. Don't know who I was thinking. Helen Prejean is, is what you're thinking thank of. You. The this activist. Is, forgive me. This is the cold medicine talking. Um, but when she's asked about, for example, protests in front of Supreme Court justices' house in lieu of the attempted assassination of one of those justices, and she kind of like tiptoes around it and is like, oh, you know, we don't actually have an opinion on it or free speech or what have you. She said uh, that's there, democracy. That's democracy in action, right? Um, so strange. It's, it's Weimar democracy in action. Uh, yeah, if there was some sort of a concerted effort here to really throw them under the bus um, because they were so out of step with the general public to say nothing about the democratic base, there would be an all hands on deck situation here. We could all see all oars rowing in the same direction and we don't. So Benningfield was just speaking for herself. But see, but that's we don't thing. know. But but we, so so even if the activist and the activist wing of, of elective Democrats, even if they don't have the numbers, they have outsized power. And that is what scares the, the non-activists into dodging the issue or complying. And, and, and that is the story of, of, of Biden's woes. Look, the deep injustice that is being done to Biden by the, by the progressives is that he's, you know, he's not a socialist, but he's pretty much with them. He wants to use government power. He does, he like, like them, he has absolutely no understanding of the workings of the economy. How the you know how the private sector works? He's never worked in the private sector. He's you know he's been he's been a pub he's been in public life since he was twenty five years old. He he's never met a payroll. He doesn't know how things work. He doesn't understand trade offs, and he doesn't understand that you know you if you run a business that doesn't make money, it closes. He doesn't know anything like that. They're like that. He wants to use government in whatever way he wants to use government. He wants to attack gas station owners for gas prices that they are not responsible for, blah, 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 blah. And he's with them. He wants to, you know, he would like to make rules where abortions are legal forever in spite of the Supreme Court. He just doesn't have it. He doesn't have the ability to do it. Um and Biden, Obama already pulled the, you know, I have a pen and a phone and I'll do it anyway line, and that doesn't work. So he's kind of trying to do it semi-incompetently, as he does everything at least semi-incompetently. Um, he is with them. He's as good as they're going to get. I remember I had a fight with Mark Stein many years ago on the, on the corner of the National Review blog about Bush when he and a bunch of other people on the right were sort of turning on George W. Bush uh, because he was insufficiently conservative. And my line was, this is as good as you're going to get. What you think somehow ma magically and, and, and mystically, somebody who is more right wing is going to come along. I mean, maybe you could say that Trump was that person, though. I don't think Trump was more conservative than, than George W. Bush. But it is a it is a great temptation among uh, true believers to say the problem is that the person at the top isn't resolute enough, and he's not Biden because he's an idiot, but he's not. He's with them, and if they're turning on him, part of the reason they're turning on him, by the way, is that uh, he seems to be a, a, a real world proof that their solutions to things don't work and actually make things worse. Pull out of Afghanistan, that made things worse. You know, um, I, name seven or eight other things you could say that he's made worse. So 
Uh, I don't know. I The other important point to make in this poll, if you believe the results of this poll, is that, uh, but this does jive with other things, the number of people who say that abortion is the number one issue in the United States, 5%. 5% rank abor- abortion at the top of the national agenda. Uh, 9% right this week are ranking guns. Uh, 9% of women, according to this poll, though, again, I'm not sure the sample size is large enough to prove this, say abortion. But we're at 5% on abortion and sort of 8 or 9% on guns. Those are, the, those are the issues that are going to carry Democrat that are going to reverse the tide. They're not even double digits. Either of those issues is not in double digits. Jobs, the economy, and inflation in this poll add up to 32%. Now, by the way, that's interesting because jobs is kind of number one. We don't have a jobs problem in the United States. So when they say jobs, they don't mean jobs. You know what I mean? There's no jobs problem. There's full employment in the United States. We're at 3%. So what do they mean? It's they mean sta- the economy. The economy yeah. Everything means they don't feel like they're making enough money. They feel like inflation is eating away at their earnings. They feel... Maybe they feel unsatisfied in their work. I don't know. But it doesn't mean that there's a jobs crisis because there isn't a job. When people say that there's a jobs crisis, when there isn't a job, you have to then wonder what jobs is standing in for. And it just means in general, the country's on the wrong track. What is the wrong track number? It's staggering. Is it 80%? Where is it? Depends on the poll you read, but yeah, it's close to nine and 10. It's like 80 something percent. To twenty something percent, or to I mean, some in the teens. So it, it was like eighty. It was like eighty-eight, eleven in the Monmouth poll, or something ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, so they're not happy with the way things are going, and he's the president, and that's it, and that, and they they run Congress, and that's it, that's it. There's a, there's another detail. Um, I don't know how much this really affects Biden. It's just interesting at this point in time. The pandemic as a concern is dead. It's interesting because the pandemic is is dead as a concern, totally dead. Meanwhile, literally zero percent in the New York Times Siena survey as as issues go. And what's happening? I just saw it on, you know, on the network news, you know, New York recommending everybody mask again or the CDC is recommending that everybody in New York City mask again. It's not an order. It's not a mandate. But because but because BA5 variant numbers are up. Well, here's uh, how it affects Biden around the edges, I suppose. Um, it means he doesn't have it as a place to turn, to get tough, to look tough, to look like he's putting things to rights, right? Or to claim or to claim victory. Right. Like, I mean, it's like the perfect storm for him. Well, they could have. They could have claimed victory when there was a victory to claim. Well, they did. Remember? Take off your mask. It's July 2021. Take off your mask. Oh, no, they reversed field on that one. And they never, I know they they never had a celebratory moment. It just sort of ebbed away. And they were clinging to it, too. They didn't they didn't celebrate this advance in you know public right. health. They, they were sort of trepidatious about it. Yeah, they were. And you know why? Because they're not celebratory. They think America stinks. They think this country is lousy. We're a racist, born in sin, cop killer, you know, global warmer. And who are we to have, who are we to claim victory over anything? 
I mean, I'm just saying like the general consensus ideas that undergird the liberal, you know, the 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 liberal experiment or the the liberal understanding of the United States do not permit of optimism. You're saying they're miserable. They've made a virtue out of being miserable and they want everybody else to be miserable too. Sounds very familiar. Yes, it is the rise of the new Puritans <laughs> by Noah Rothman in its second week. Out out six days. Go order it from Amazon and Barnes and Noble and wherever you get your fine books. And it is time for us to talk about our advertisers today because that is the time that we are at. And the advertiser in question that I would like to talk about first is Bambi. Because when running a business, HR issues can kill you. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulation, and HR manager salaries aren't cheap. An average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat from onboarding determinations. They customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day all for just $99 a month, month to month. No hidden fees. Cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time in HR compliance. Let Bambi help get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash commentary right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash commentary spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash commentary. And our friend David Bonson. He's got this book. You've heard me talk about it. There's no free lunch. 250 economic truths. Look at the people in this poll so miserable. You know what would make them less miserable? Knowing that the American experiment is right and just and that it's dedicated in its, at its root and its core to, the, to human flourishing, the principles of liberty, and economic activity that improves your life and the life of your countrymen and the life of the world. This is all to be found in David Bonson's book, B-A-H-N-S-A-N, There's No Free Lunch, 250 Economic Truths, which combines an understanding of political philosophy, an understanding of theology, an understanding of macroeconomics to give you a daily primer on how to think about money, your job, your investments, your retirement funds, and everything relating to how you can live your best life. So that is David Bonson's book, there's no free lunch, 250 economic truths. Get it today, wherever you get your fine books. Um, I had another topic and I've now completely forgotten what it is. Well, can I just add, <clears throat> then okay. I'll just add one thing about that, of the what we were just talking about. About the topic that I've forgotten? No, 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 about, okay. about the poll. There is yet another interesting detail, which is that one in 10 people cited the state of American democracy as a concern. Right. Now, by the way, that can go either way. That is not a, an exclusively liberal answer, right? I mean, conservative Trumpians think our democracy is at risk because of uh, because of drop boxes in Wisconsin, and they think that democracy is at risk because of January 6th. And so, you know, that even that answer doesn't get Biden anywhere. Well, that's because what I'm saying. Least, Even so, it, it, so it's one in 10, but it's less than one in 10 because it's, yeah, it's right. I mean, in terms of him. But so it's if it's fewer than one in 10 after a pretty substantial sort of campaign 
to to try to convince American voters that 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 Republicans are waging a war on, on our democracy. That's another failed initiative. Right. Uh, actually, let's talk about the threat to democracy and the January 6th hearings, because there was a jaw dropping quote delivered yesterday by Zoe Lofgren, the uh, representative from California who was on the January 6th committee uh, and was one of the people who questioned Cassidy Hutchinson, the Mark Meadows aide whose you know, bombshell testimony uh, changed everything in the minds of a lot of people. Uh, but has some of its details have been called into question, particularly the detail about Trump, you know, getting into a, a physical altercation in his own uh, SUV um, with uh, the Secret Service and Secret Service people through spokesmen and stuff, denying that that ever, ever took place. Uh, Cassidy Hutchison testified that Pat Cipollone, the Trump lawyer, the White House counsel, had said various things to her on January 6th. Um, and in an astonishing admission, uh, and, and because there is some question about Cassie Hutchinson's veracity or, you know, whether she's playing games of telephone with quotes and things like that, um, it is very important, I think, if you are, if you believe in the importance of the January 6th hearings and trying to establish the historical record to nail things down. And Zoe Lofgren, um, uh, went on Jake Tapper's show yesterday, I believe, and said that they had not asked Cassidy, they had not asked Pat Cipollone in the course of his eight-hour deposition um, to uh, say yay or nay to whether or not Cassidy Hutchison's story about him saying, we're going to be charged with every crime imaginable if Donald Trump goes down to the Capitol. That's she said, Pat Cipollone said that to her, okay? Jake Tapper says to Zoe, Zoe Lofgren, excuse me, two sources told CNN that the committee did not ask Pat Cipollone whether he said that. Is that true? If so, why wouldn't you ask him that? And here is Lofgren's answer, quote, we never call in witnesses to corroborate other witnesses or to give their reaction to other witnesses. But I will say that he did interview with us for eight hours and provide very insightful information. And that augments and certainly does not dispute Ms. Hutchison's testimony. So let, let's get this straight. You're trying to build a case against Donald Trump on January 6th, and you do not ask somebody who has been cited in a specific anecdote saying a specific thing whether or not what you know what his recollection was of that exchange the only reason you would not what do you mean you never call in witnesses to corroborate other witnesses that is that is bullshit the whole purpose of fact finding hearings is to establish facts and you can't establish a fact with a single source by definition so yeah, it's she's strange. lying <laughs> through her teeth. That is an insane thing for her to have said. They didn't want to ask Cipollone. Well, the New York Times says the following quote. <clears throat> Two people familiar with Mr. Cipollone's actions that day said he did not recall making that comment to Mrs. Hutchison. Those people said the committee was made aware before the interview that Mr. Cipollone would not confirm that conversation were he to be asked. But he wasn't asked, so he wouldn't confirm. So okay, so maybe let, this is again, just maybe this is part of the ground rules. We know there was negotiating ahead of this testimony, and that Ms. Cipollone did not want to testify, citing executive privilege. Subsequently, abandoned that that position, but that's part of a negotiation. So perhaps this was just off the table. 
I don't believe that that is the case based on Lofgren's own quote, where she says, we don't ask witnesses to say yes or no. They said something that we had somebody testify testify to so that we can iron it so that we can nail it. Iron yeah, that's it a dumb thing to say, but the, the simpler explanation is that was just an agreed upon proviso proviso. Why would that conversation either be protected by executive privilege? If Cipollone was to say, I do not recall having said that to her, why wouldn't you want that on the record? You're saying that they agreed not to ask him that question? That doesn't make any sense. How would his testimony have augmented hers? You know, I mean, we'll hear we're tomorrow there's gonna be a hearing and they're gonna they're gonna run civil testimony. But this this is another reason why, despite the brilliant stage managing of this hearing, and I think we can all agree that this that this proceeding has been brilliantly run. Um through many mistakes made by Republicans and not having people on the panel and things like that so that they could they they could entertain objections and raise questions in real time instead of doing it, you know, on Twitter or whatever. Um, that uh, the more partisan it looks, the more, you know, the only people it matters who need to be convinced that something untoward was going on here aren't the Democrats who already believe that something untoward is going on here. They need to be Caesar's wife if what they're doing is claiming that some horrible political monstrous event happened here. They need to run this like Caesar's wife, not like they're, you know, they're partisan players just looking to blacken Trump's name and say that he's a fascist because that's not going to work. That's a that's a everybody who thinks he's a fascist already thinks he's a fascist. You need people who are sort of on the fence about him to say, I don't want this guy anywhere near power anymore. I'm sorry. It's just, he slipped, he slipped, uh, he slipped the bonds of sanity. And they could do that if they behave better. But clearly, I think they're, they're they've they've gone in the wrong direction here. Well, Hutchinson sort of, you know, was the equivalent of, of too good to fact check. No, that's a very good point. But I mean, you don't then say we don't fact check anything. We don't care what the truth is. She testified under oath. So therefore, everything she said is true. People lie under oath all the time, like Christine Blasey Ford, for example, who lied under oath. Guess who hasn't been prosecuted for lying under oath in front of Congress? Um, also, by the way, does either of you guys, you know, Steve uh, Bannon now says he wants to testify before the committee in part because he was about to start his trial for contempt of Congress. And, you know, that's expensive and uh, he would almost certainly be found guilty. So maybe he doesn't want that. But um, uh, he has now uh, been released from his uh, claim of executive privilege by Trump. He had no right to a claim of executive privilege as a private citizen. Uh, so that was uh, ridiculous. But um, clearly, I think he wants to go before the committee in public and, you know, like, do a you're out of order you're out of order this committee is out of order you know this i demand an apology like he wants to like have a have a scene so he's kind of called their bluff because he says he wants to testify in public and they're like you're not going to be able to we're not going to let you testify in public really 
Seriously, you're not going to let him testify in public? It's a it's a congressional committee. Hearings are supposed to be public. That's like there's sunshine laws about this. Half a dozen witnesses have testified behind closed doors, have given video deposition. He wants to testify in public. That's not his prerogative. Why not? Because he's not a member of Congress. He's not on the dais. They're not deposing. What does it even mean to talk about a deposition? What does a deposition mean? Yeah, I know what a deposition is in legal terms. This is not a legal, this is not a legal, as we've now learned, apparently you don't have to prove anything to any legal standard. No, you're deposed, you're under oath, and you can be held in contempt and, and perjure yourself. And it's um, the prerogative of this committee, whether you testify in public or not, that's not your call. Well, let me just put it this way. There, never in the annals of a public hear, of hearings on you know scandalous issues has the committee decided that it's too dangerous to allow someone to testify in public, so they're going to make them testify in private? Dangerous. It's will, exactly what you said it. it would be. It would make it a spectacle because that's okay. Subjective. And it's their call whether he gets the opportunity to do that or not. I, I'm just telling you, Noah. There has never been a case in which a in which a person who wants to testify out in the open is forced to testify behind closed doors. It has never happened. I've spent 30, 40 years watching hearings. All they ever want is to have everything out in the open. The Iran, no one in Iran-Contra didn't testify before the cameras. This is a new wrinkle because since they don't control his testimony, and of course, that's the whole thing about these depositions is we haven't seen the totality of them, right? We've only seen the clips and things that they've shown. We don't know whether... The stuff that they are running has been balanced out by other things that have been said that we're not seeing in the depositions. The Justice Department has complained that the January 6th Commission is not sharing the full testimony with them as they are trying to possibly build a case against people for insurrection on January 6th. And they are not sharing their information with the Justice Department. That is weird. That is not normal. This is not normal behavior by by a congressional committee, particularly since it doesn't deal with anything sensitive. It's not like we have sensitive foreign policy information, sources and methods that might be exposed by this open testimony. It is not normal. It is not normal behavior by Congress. It makes it look like they're trying to hide something or that they're scared of not having total control of every second of the hearing. And they're not supposed to have total control of every second of the hearing. It's not supposed to be a star chamber. Well, but this is the other side of the coin of having a brilliantly produced spectacle or a brilliantly produced event, which is, as, as, as you said, it is. Yeah. Um, that, that's, that's a different animal than um, a full out in the open hearing. Yeah. Well, the question is whether it's penny wise or pound foolish. It's now gotten everybody who already wanted Trump to go to jail, to want him to go to jail 500 more times. And if they continue to go this way and not corroborate and not try to make an airtight case about Trump's involvement, but simply this kind of circumstantial overheard case, um, they're, as I say, they're not, they're, they're not going to succeed in convincing anybody who, who didn't come to this with their prior in the first place. And it sort of looked like they might, 
but um, you know, they're 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 not. I mean, clearly because I mean, the, we're talking about the Justice Department being a little leery of this committee. The Justice Department is warning against Steve Bannon's testimony, according to the NBC News. What what, it, what <laughs> I don't know the story. What what in the saying? NBC News the Justice Department says uh, that a Trump lawyer told the FBI that the former president never actually invoked executive privilege and um, Mr. Bannon's attempt at testimony is a stunt. Um, I'm trying to read this as we speak. Use the word stunt. Right. Um, Justice Department sought to prevent Bannon and his lawyers from telling the jury that he's not willing to testify. They didn't want him to testify. Justice Department says that Bannon's, quote, continued failure to comply with the subpoenas Document demand while claiming he will now testify suggests his actions are little more than an attempt to change the optics of his contempt on the eve of a trial, not an actual effort at compliance. So everybody's a little skeptical of this guy. Well, they're so the point here is that is that Bannon is playing games with their with their indictment of him. And, you know, they want to bring him to trial. And he, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that uh, there was a real problem well he's not immunized so it doesn't matter but you know when you have different testimonies in different places and they don't harmonize sometimes that can be used to the to the benefit of the of the defendant but i don't don't again a lot of that when i said that at the beginning of this ridiculous monologue that i'm going to end oh um that was about people who have immunized testimony who then screw up the possibility of trying them on non-immunized testimony uh, Noah, which you, what you don't know is that Noah apparently Noah's throat really hurts. He's grimacing here on our Zoom, so uh, he needs to go and like suck on some talk for another forty-eight hours. Talk for another forty-eight hours. Uh, we will be back again uh, tomorrow uh, for Abe and Noah and the absent Christine. I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.